0: go out on a limb and say that you, like me, at some point in our history probably have had a boss that drove us nuts. Maybe we loved our jobs but really wished someone would come in and, well, to be honest, fix our boss. Our guest today is author, speaker, and consultant Molly McGrath whose new book, Fix My Boss, empowers employees and bosses alike to create authentic collaboration while fostering a more productive, effective, and enjoyable working relationship. And we know you're going to enjoy today's conversation. And we're glad you're here. Whether today is your first time listening or you're a regular, welcome. Would you do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're on? Give us a rating on how you think the podcast is doing. This helps us find even more listeners like you. And now to our conversation with Molly McGrath. Welcome to the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, where everyone is a leader and leadership starts with you. I'm Tara. And I'm Pamela. Thank you for listening and inviting us along on your leadership journey. Welcome to the podcast. We are really excited to have author Molly McGrath with us today, author of the book, Fix My Boss. We're going to be talking about empowering employees and leading up. And it's such a provocative title. We can't wait to dive in and understand more about what it means. Welcome today, Molly. Oh,
1: thank you for having me.
0: Before we dive in, I just want to let the audience know who we're talking to. So I'm going to let them know a little bit about you. Molly McGrath is an author, uh, a consultant, and since the late 90s, she's been coaching, consulting, and directing presidents and founders of national organizations and over 4,000 law firms in executive leadership, continuous improvement, team empowerment initiatives to infiltrate new markets, leveraging partner ecosystems, and producing profitability. Molly has 23 years of specific set experience in legal CMO marketing, fact- fractional CEO, conversation intelligence coaching, team development and empowerment, intrapreneur talent acquisition, Kaizen leadership, root cause analysis, revenue mapping, and action-based project management.
2: Molly, you are an exciting person for us to have on this podcast. (laughs) Definitely she is. Oh my goodness. And I just love that word. I can't wait to unpack this with you later, Molly. The entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. For some people in our listening audience, they may not be aware of what that is. But before we go into that today, because we are so fascinated and grounded as leaders into our own strengths, we want to ask you, which of your top strengths is currently your favorite, or are you really appreciating the most right now, Molly, and why?
1: My top strength has always been woo, win people over. And anytime I see somebody in a a business that I'm coaching or on my own team that leads in the top 10 of woo, I'm like, hire them. I don't know what they're going to do, but let's hire them because... I feel many of my strengths on My Strength Finder anchor to relationships, and it's really Mm. important to me. And I think it's streamlined through my business and everything that I do. It excites me. If I even look back, I still have my best friends since first grade. There's Mm. eight of us. And relationships are really important to me. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all selling in business. Yeah,
2: I already can hear in what you're saying, Molly, your origin story of relationships. And as an introvert, all of my best friends are sevens on the Enneagram, if you know what that is. I know. I was like, parties waiting to happen because they draw me into the fun, my fun friends. And so this would be my fun friend, Tara, who's also with us on the podcast. But I would love to know, Molly, more about your origin story, perhaps where that woo comes
1: in. And definitely the connection with relationships. It's interesting. I don't think any of it was intentional per se, but Nala in hindsight, I've been in doing coaching for 26 years now. And my origin story is I worked in government. I worked in the mayor's office in Buffalo, New York, took a mm-hmm. civil service test, clock watcher, paid time off, all the things. And when I moved from New York to Colorado, Thankfully, my government contract, had e- I could take a year personal leave back since I was 27 years old and come back and still have my job. So there's very little risk. And I answered an ad in a paper when you did that long ago in the classifieds and the very first interview I went on, I got hired. And it, I felt really grateful because it was a national organization for estate planning attorneys. And if anyone knows anything about working with attorneys, they're trained skeptics. They are everything that you believe and see on TV and what have you, very intense, very much do, and I say this to my clients, lead with ego and very stressful, high voltage industry. And so I was fortunate this organization was starting a coaching program back in 1997 when coaching really wasn't a street term, definitely not for attorneys. And so I was fortunate enough to be assigned as the program assistant for the coach. He was an attorney coach, very successful, had been through Landmark Education, Hoffman, Strategic Coach, check. He had invested in his personal and professional development, very successful. And so he was going to bring this to the organization as a value add and start doing personal and professional development coaching for the attorneys. And the first day that I met him, I was in Denver. He's in Tampa way back before COVID and all this remote stuff. We met at the first conference where we are launching this coaching program. And I get off the elevator to meet my new boss. And he looks me dead in the eyes. And he said, I don't know who told you weren't worth anything. I don't know who stripped you of your confidence and beat you down. But I'll tell you right now, the moment you got off that elevator, I see something in you. And if you're willing to be coachable, I will set you free from all the trauma and the stories that you've been holding. But you've wow. got to show up and you have to do the work. I never had any exposure to coaching. I didn't even know who Tony Robbins was hmm. at that day. I'm one of six, grew up in an Irish Catholic family, all of us civil servant workers, what have you. There wasn't a strip of personal development in my family, and there definitely was no entrepreneurialship within that as well. So that was like a gut punch to me. And I remember I ran to the bathroom and bawled my eyes out. I'm like, oh my God, I can't work for this guy, blah, 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 blah. And I get in the room with the first coaching event and watched him coach 77 law firms across the country. And I had pages and pages and saw all these attorneys just weeping because they didn't realize how much they're a prisoner to their own mindset and their work and their upbringing and blah, blah, blah. So that was really my first exposure to coaching. And that's my origin story of really how I got into the coaching industry and really being an advocate for employees that most of them are sitting in the position I was in. Wow. Isn't it powerful when someone sees something in you that you didn't
0: even know was possible? Yes. And so that was a moment, that was a pivotal moment I imagine for your life to have him see you speak that into you. And then for you to sit back and I'm sure it was a wrestle to go through like you said you hadn't been exposed to that in the past. It probably felt really uncomfortable. Have you always been someone who's pretty resilient and
1: tenacious because you must have dug in, Molly, after that. Yeah. I don't know if I, I guess I was subconsciously to some regard. Looking back, I believe I was a deeply curious kid and always had a value. I i knew there had to be something better, whether in me, in my environment or what have you. But yeah, it I dug my heels in. I showed up because at some point I was like, my option is to run from this or run to this. Mm. And if I leave, and I'm like, I'm not worthy. I don't know if I have what it takes. I dropped out of college. Um, so I had that head mm-hmm. trash going on. Um, and ironically, I'm working with the top intellect lawyers. What were we all taught? Be a lawyer or a doctor? And I somehow my soul picked this industry. And this was part of my journey. And yeah, I realized, and I'll speak into why I'm so passionate with working with employees, administrative assistants, virtual assistants, what have you, because many of us believe that we're lucky to have a job. Mm -hmm. And our job is just to get rewarded with this offer letter. We're going to get paid. And your job is to show up, do what you're told, keep your mouth shut, and you'll be rewarded with a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I've always, I'm number four or six. I'm the peacekeeper. I'm a two on the Enneagram. And I thrived on doing the right thing and being doing what I was told. And I'm really trying to debunk that. Give the gift that my mentor gave to me to other employees. One of my favorite sayings is from the movie, We Bought a Zoo, where it says, oh "Alta takes is 20 seconds of insane courage.
0: Oh, yes. We Bought a Zoo is my daughter's favorite movie. Isn't that? I love funny? that movie. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Molly, so how did you go from growing up in your career, working with this coach, with lawyers, to now being an author and someone who is advocating for employees? Tell us a little bit
1: about that journey. And did you ever think you were going to write a book? No, no, that was never on the top of my list, even when I wrote my Fix My Bosses, my third book. Even when I wrote my first book with my co author at the time, gosh, in 2011, something of that nature, we were never on a mission to be an author or write a book, but we had a story. And my journey going back to relationships and woo and all that. So I have this mentor. And thankfully, the attorneys would bring their employees to these conferences every quarter. Well, you'd be in the teaching room, in the coaching room, and then you'd go to breakfast, lunch, the bar, break bread, drink with people, have a cup of coffee. And I would hear, I would, my job was to mingle with the members and I love with relationship and woo. So I was super excited about that. But I would turn to left and say to the business owner, tell me about your business. And they would go on and they would 100% would end business would be great, but for employees. It's hard to keep them. It's hard to, they delegate back up to. They had a laundry list of why employees were the biggest pain in the butt for them and not an asset. Then I turned to the employees that they brought to this event, by and large, legal assistants, administrative assistants, marketing coordinators, et cetera. And they would say, I would love my job if my boss would just give me more work, if they would just trust me more. I know the answer. I can help them. I see them so stressed, but they're too busy to spend time with me and or they're a control freak and won't give up. I'm like, this is fascinating. Yeah, this is fascinating. So I went to my mentor boss and I'm like, there's a massive breakdown. You're coaching these business owners on how to scale their business, how to grow their business, all the things, but they're not. Delegating it to their team, they're not inviting them into the strategic conversation, and so it's laying flat. This is why every ninety days they come back and nobody's done their homework, so to speak. Hmm. They're like, "We tried this, but this happened, that happened." They had all the excuses for why it wasn't going to happen, but they're trying to do it themselves. It's time to enroll the team, and we really need to set a, create a separate coaching program for them. Being the coach he is and the visionary and the entrepreneur for him, he's, I think, an eight on the Enneagram, a nine quick start on the Colby, like he's a maximizer, total serial entrepreneur. He's Great. Build the program, make it happen. You're doing the first one next quarter. Oh, whoops. So (laughs) long story short, I've got that program going and this was the birth of the book because I would have. The attorneys come back to me, that was our client, and they'd say, What did you do to my team? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't thank you enough. They're not even the same people anymore. They're taking the reins, they're stepping up and leading, they're taking things off my plate, they're coming to me with proposed solutions versus constant problems. And I'd find myself on these coaching calls over and over again, and people kept saying, You need to write a book. You need to write a book. You need to systematize this. You need to put this in the book. So that's how I wrote a book. My first book. That is
2: so incredible. And I love, as a person who leads with Woo in relationships, Molly, what have you heard from the employees that now have felt seen and heard and valued and developed and engaged?
1: What have you heard back from them? Number one, that they're grateful that they found their forever home and career. So they're just, so often people will look at resumes and say, oh, I don't want to talk to them. And they job hop all the time. Consider the possibility that they're leaving because of the leadership that they're, I don't know many employees that want to job hop and start a new job and get retrained and be onboarded and Mm -hmm. all the things. So they're grateful that they finally have confidence to use their voice in an honest, well, respectful way, have a conversation with their business owner, their boss or entrepreneur. Most people, there was so much trauma I had to undo that you're not going to get fired. And I always, Mm -hmm. if you can use your voice, consider the possibility that the outcome is you're not in trouble. The outcome is that you get a promotion. The outcome is that you have make a difference within this small boutique business. So their confidence is through the roof. They feel like they're in control. There's no more complaining or resentment. And the greatest definition I ever heard of resentment is self-abandonment. So if you're resenting your job, you're resenting your pay, you're resenting that you, whatever it is that you're resenting, stop and look at where you are abandoning yourself and biting your tongue. My, my experience that people on the front lines, receptionists, virtual assistants, they're on the front lines. They know the answer. You, we just as entrepreneurs and bosses need to give them space and grace and ask them what they think and not beat them up if they tell us the truth. So we're going to
0: get to the point where you get to give us a few nuggets from the book around what did you do to their team? <laughs> what are you yeah. doing to help the employees? But can you talk a little bit more about what is the disconnect, Molly, between employers who are saying, if only business would be great, if only for people Mm -hmm. versus employees who are saying, I really wish I could do a good job. I just I'm not being given what I need to do
1: it. Or what is that disconnect? Truly. I I love that you asked that question. And, And I brought you in my group to talk about grounding trust and all of that. But at the end of the day, I think it's communication. There's this story. I believe the biggest culprit is this story that we, in language, I even teach my employees and business owners you're not allowed to ever use the word busy again. Mm -hmm. People believe we're too busy. So we don't spend enough time. The disconnect is if you gave your team consistent, persistent time, attention, and feedback every single week, hardwired, Scheduled just like you do with a client meeting and you show up for them and you give them permission and let them lead the meeting and let them start to facilitate it, the calendar, the clients, the conversions, your cash flow will be impacted. So I think the mi- biggest disconnect is that as business owners, we're so busy, we don't give our team the space and grace of time. Well, um, so communication And people believe they're communicating with Boxer and Slack channels and texts and teams and email and what have you. That's just a game of communication ping pong. It's very difficult to see body language, Mm -hmm. your tonality, Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity to banter and for them to give them the space and permission to give their insight and their opinion. Very rarely as entrepreneurs are we trained to ask quote unquote, just a receptionist, what they think. When they're your director of first impressions, my coach always says the answer is in the room. It's in the front room. We'll spend all this money hiring coaches, going to conferences, signing up for webinars, chasing strategy, but then we won't even give the people that we employ to help us grow our business the same respect of time. I see attorneys that'll shut down their law firm or business owners for 2 days and go to a conference but they won't even give their team member, team members virtual w2 1099 doesn't matter 2 hours. And do you think
0: so I I would I really hear yes it's communication but it's connection and connection requires time right taking that time to connect so in the room with them with the body language and the tonality is really about building that connection and trust underneath it and that does take time. Do you think that they don't take the time or that we don't, because I'm certainly guilty of it sometimes too, Molly, but we don't take the time because we're not sure how. What do you think gets in the way? Because people will spend time to go to a two-day conference, but maybe won't take the time to have a 10-minute conversation.
1: Yes. I do. I think that's the core issue of it, myself included, when I'm not aware of it. I think it's connection, but I also think it's collaboration mm-hmm. where people don't want to be told what to do. But if you're invited to a table and somebody asks you, what do you think? And you be quiet and then you get to banter back and forth. I think it's one thing is connection, but that collaboration second, I think as business owners. It's really like super sweet and awesome that we want to be respectful. I think we have to have this systematized package, perfectly laid out to be able to delegate something to someone. I think that we put too much pressure on ourselves to have to do a lot of the front work before, again, if you just schedule time every week, anytime Any of my assistants or companies I work with are about to delegate something or give somebody more responsibility or implement a new program or process. Like just put time on the calendar and whiteboard it. You don't have to build a perfect manual before you can even start talking about it. Have faith that your people you hire, if you hire and they have this skill set for whatever it is that you hired them for, have a little faith faith that they will be able to carry the ball for you and they'll be able Mm -hmm. to get it moving. So I think as entrepreneurs, business owners, managers, and leaders, we put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to do all this groundwork before we can have a conversation with our employees. I'm like, I'm a huge proponent of fast track that. You don't have to do any work. Just get to the proverbial whiteboard and start mapping out people. Most people are visual, auditory, what have you. Even if you create this beautiful, <laughs> employee manuals are the perfect example of this. Okay, calls all the time. They're like, I spent so much time and money on that employee manual and no one reads it. I'm like, because that's not how they learn. Like speaking to people's listening in a way that makes a difference with them. And if you're breaking bread and you're connecting and collaborating and bantering back and forth, you'll go further faster. Mm. That collaboration
2: piece is so powerful to let to let employees have their voice. And um, so that just becomes then a mindset shift to set that schedule, to get that whiteboard out. And so that allows the employee then to really recognize that they can lead up by Mm. coming to the table and to allow their influence and their impact and their ideas. How do you start to change that? Where does that shift come where the employee recognizes that they really have that ability to lead up and what sort of steps really need to be put in place to start that culture shift or to allow that employee
1: to recognize that they can be empowered to do that? I love that. It's really simple. And this is the way that I've done it. Take what works, leave the rest. But number one, have a weekly stakeholders meeting every single week. All hands on deck with your team. I have agendas. Happy to give it to any of your listeners. Always easier to edit than create. And where it is facilitated by the non-business owner. You empower your team to start leading that. And then you do a daily huddle with them. No more than 30 minutes. Again, I have agendas for that where you're connecting and you're collaborating and you're giving them the opportunity to report back to you. Employees, once their business owner will make the tiniest two millimeter shift and start giving them time and honoring it and actually showing up and not ditching it. And the attorney or the um, entrepreneur doesn't have to be prepared. You say Um, the team member, I would love, here's the suggested agenda. I'd love for you to start leading this and you actually let them when they start talking and they're like, okay, great. Let's look at the number of leads that came in this week. How many of them converted into initial consultation? How many hired? And they're starting to act like a CEO and start communicating like that. And you don't interrupt them, shut them down, shame them, blame them, what have you. Now you can collaborate and ask clarifying questions and things of that nature, but they're like, oh, wow. This is really working. They really, and this is a definition of entrepreneurship, going back to that, an entrepreneur owns a business. They have all the risks, their names on the the error and emissions insurance, their names on the building, their names on the LLC, S-Corp, whatever it is. But employees, when they start to own the process, when they start to be able to lead the process and lead up and manage and all that, and you're not taking it away from them when they make one mistake and you're having a collaboration conversation about, that's an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur starts to use verbiage and language like our clients. Yeah. They start to use communication. They care about when we're not making goal. Mm -hmm. They care when we got client complaints, they're actually tracking it they treat it like their business because there's something in it for them. They're consistently getting strategy. They're consistently getting quarterly reviews. They have raises, they have bonuses, they have autonomy, and they get to communicate and act and behave like a CEO. They matter. Their voice matters, their opinion matters, and they get to be able to Run the business for you from every position, right down to the receptionist. They mm. own their job descriptions. It's in their bone and blood, and they wake up in the middle of the night. They walk into the office on Monday, and they're like, "Hey, I was thinking about, and it doesn't matter what comes after that. Yeah. They're on the soccer field taking notes and solving problems in your business, even if they're making 12 dollars an hour. That's an entrepreneur.
0: Hey everyone, this is Tara. You know how some podcasts will pause in the middle to give you an advertisement or a word from their sponsors? Well, we don't have sponsors, but we do have an important opportunity that we want to share with you. Listen, I think that you and I can agree that the old school, top-down leadership model just doesn't work anymore. It would be nice if it did because it is easier (laughs) to just command and have people pay attention. But honestly, people don't work that way because relationships don't work that way and leadership no longer works that way. And so we have developed a program called Grounded Leadership and we are seeing incredible results with the cohorts that we're currently running. From emerging and new leaders to executives and business owners, leaders at every level are growing and grounding in their leadership through this program. Grounded leadership is a comprehensive practice that ensures emotional maturity while encouraging individual growth and building thriving teams. Listen, titles are about authority, but they don't really influence change. Our leadership practice is what determines our ability to influence others. This journey is ideal for all leaders who are ready to maximize their potential, take responsibility for their influence. We have a cohort starting in January of 2024. It's gonna be a mixed cohort of leaders from across the country, from different organizations, and we really think that you would enjoy it not only that we think you would find high value and there would be a really high roi for you your leadership and your team if this is at all of interest to you please reach out In the show notes, we're going to have a PDF that you can click and see all the program details, but also you can email me, Tara at transform.com, schedule a quick 15 to 30 minute consult to get some of your questions answered. And we can determine if this is a program that's a fit for you. And if you're a fit for the program, if this is of interest to you, we hope to hear from you and now back to the podcast. Molly, I love the concept of entrepreneur. And I think there's a lot of business owners and leaders who might be listening, thinking, yes, I want that. I have seen leaders, I've seen people coach leaders to give their people more and it falls flat. Or I've seen an employee coaching an employee to say, okay, you're going to lead up. And so you're going to, you're going to do X, Y, Z to step up and take more. And the owner slaps it down. How do you help them get over this dance, this hump of this mountain? Sometimes it feels like where they're not really sure how to trust each other because maybe this person has been micromanaged for the last year and they don't trust themselves because they've been told they probably can't be trusted with it through the actions of the owner or the leader. And the leader isn't sure because the mistakes have been made and they don't want to deal with those mistakes.
1: Do you see that dynamic and how do you help them get over it? I do see that dynamic and the way to get over it is consistency. So for example, you give the new employee more autonomy and more duties or what have you, and it falls flat or they don't come back. It's twofold. One, I train the team members at the end of the direction you do a debrief in everything. Don't care if it's a water cooler assignment or what have you. You clarify and verify. This is what you want me to do. This is my next step. This is a level one delegation or level five delegation. Level one is do exactly what I told and come back and report exactly what you did. Level five, is uh, you have everything you need to do to actually do it and make a decision and close it, whatever okay. it is. you. I don't need any feedback from you. What have you, just give me an update in tomorrow's daily huddle. And then you have hardwired in your calendar safety nets for consistent communication. One hour a week in a weekly Mm -hmm. meeting with it. And depending on the size of your business, you might need multiple levels if they're in marketing or production or case management or whatever. And then daily huddle, really quick, quick, where everyone comes together. Don't care if you're driving and dropping the kids off in the daycare. You're in the office, what have you, where you're clarifying and verify. Okay, boss Tara, yesterday you told me that you want me to go and renew the contract for the copier, what have you. I got the three quotes. Here's the one that I believe is the best. I put 10 minutes on our calendar for me to come in with the contracts for you, and we're going to make a decision. Then you come back, and as entrepreneurs, we have this deep-seated, like, defer and deflect where a lot of times we will not make a decision. And ironically, a lot of times bosses and business owners are not quick to make decisions. And the reason being is they haven't empowered their people enough. So I empower the team members to say to them, we have three quotes, here's what's at stake, here's what you want out of this outcome, it's time to make a decision. What additional information do you need to see in order to make an informed decision? So it's really equipping the team members, employees, entrepreneurs with coaching language to be able to come back and clarify Mm -hmm. and verify and ask those powerful questions and remind the entrepreneur that they're making it bigger than it needs to be. And this is why we can't be in the business of taking action and making decisions.
0: So you'll see, you can't see it, listeners, but I've got a copy of Fix My Boss and it has, I don't know, 25 or so post-its sticking out of it. I think the beautiful thing that you've done, Molly, is that you have a lot of this in the book and you have a lot of tools. So there's a lot of downloads. So when you have the book, there's a lot of free downloads for tools on how to get started with some of these strategies. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're like me, but we provide tools to clients too and then helping them use those tools can be a challenge. So what do you see in getting started? What's the best first thing someone could do if they're listening and they have a boss that they want to lead up and take more control over what they
1: own in terms of their responsibilities? What's the first thing they could do? I I would say buy the book. I think it's a fast track and the easiest way. When I was, the working title of this book was called Fix My Employee. And through my publisher and through working with many of my clients, they were very heavily involved in this book. They're like, we won't read it. You got to twist this and say, fix my boss. So the boss can actually buy the book and give it to the employee. So right then and there, you're extending the olive branch. Mm -hmm. If a boss is going to buy a book with that title and they hand it to their employee, they're going to say, I really believe in you. And I really mm. want this dynamic to change, and I can't do it all alone anymore. So why don't you read this book and come back to me with proposed solutions of what we can do to create two millimeter shifts in the business, in our communication, in our culture, in the way we do things? And right then and there, you're already getting buy-in from the team member, from your employee. If you're, if a boss is going to hand a book like that, they're going, they're saying. I, I recognize I might be part of the problem or one of the biggest problems within the business. And I don't want to do it alone anymore. I mm-hmm. need you. But
2: you just said the key, key word there. You said the word need. <laughs> so often that entrepreneurial boss doesn't even know how to speak in two millimeter movements as far as to ask for what they need. And so what I hear you saying is that this book is going to give the employee the tool to know how to help their boss define what it is in those small measures, what it is they actually need.
1: Yes. And I love that you point that out because we all know when people ask you, when you're in the thick of it and you're stressed and you're time strapped and energy exhausted, and somebody says, what do you need? You're like, I don't even know. Yeah. And so this is a great way where I don't know what we need. So I'm inviting you to Help me figure it out. It's so true. The work that
0: we do too, there's an exercise we do where we help that helps people connect. And one of the requirements of that exercise is to identify what you need. And that is the hardest part of the whole exercise is for people to get in touch for themselves with what they need, because we don't take time. You were talking about time earlier with connection and collaboration to take time for it. Yes. And whether you're an owner or just a very, uh, someone with a very full plate, because mm-hmm. we try not to say busy too, but a full plate, um, you need to take a few minutes to identify for yourself what you need so that you can articulate it, right? Because we just don't take the time to figure that out. We just know we're frustrated. Yeah, Molly, we want to continue in a part two conversation. And I, where a couple of places I think will go in that conversation for listeners is... How does all this impact bottom line, truly? Because I think sometimes, yes, having time for all this is nice, but we've got the short-term game we're playing. And then also, I think we, we would love to dive into, how do you help people overcome, truly overcome some of the trauma they've experienced at work? You talked, we talked about that at the beginning, we glazed over it, but I'd love to go back and talk about The very real impact that our workplace experiences have on our lives. So stay tuned, everyone, for part two with Molly McGrath. You're not going to want to miss it.